0: Chapter 4 Part 2 of The Commentaries on the Laws of England Book 2 by William Blackstone This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Roy Haynes Of the Feudal System Part 2 Having given this short history of their rise and progress, we will next consider the nature, doctrine, and principal laws of feuds, wherein we shall evidently trace the groundwork of many parts of our public polity, and also the original of such of our own tenures as were either abolished in the last century or still remain in force. The grand and fundamental maxim of all feudal tenure is this that all lands were originally granted out by the sovereign and are therefore holden either mediately or immediately of the crown. The grantor was called the proprietor or lord, being he who retained the dominion or ultimate property of the feud or fee, and the grantee, who had only the use and possession, according to the terms of the grant, was styled the feudatory or vassal which was only another name for the tenant or holder of the lands, though on account of the prejudices we have justly conceived against the doctrines that were afterwards granted on this system, we now use the word vassal opprobiously as synonymous to slave or bondman. The manner of the grant was by words of gratuitous and pure donation, de concesi which are still the operative words in our modern infudations or deeds of fiefment. This was perfected by the ceremony of corporal investiture, or open and notorious delivery of possession in the presence of other vassals, which perpetuated among them the era of the new acquisition at a time when the art of writing was very little known, and therefore the evidence of property was reposed in the memory of the neighborhood who, in case of a disputed title, were afterwards called upon to decide the difference, not only according to external proofs adduced by the party's litigant, but also by the internal testimony of their own private knowledge. Besides an oath of fealty or profession of faith to the Lord, which was the parent of our oath of allegiance, the vassal or tenant upon investiture did usually homage to his Lord openly and humbly kneeling being ungirt uncovered and holding up his hands both together between those of the lord who sat before him and there professing that he did become his man from that day forth of life and limb and earthly honour and then he received a kiss from his lord which ceremony was denominated Almagium, or manhood by the feudists from the stated form of words, Divinio Besteromo. When the tenant had thus professed himself to be the man of his superior or lord, the next consideration was concerning the service, which, as such, he was bound to render in recompense for the land he held. This, in pure, proper, and original feuds, was only twofold. To follow, or do suit to, the lord in his courts in time of peace, and in his armies, or warlike retinue, when necessity called him to the field. The lord was, in early times, the legislator and judge over all his feudatories, and therefore the vassals of the inferior lords were bound by their fealty to attend their domestic courts barren which were instituted in every manner or barony for doing speedy and effectual justice to all the tenants, in order as well as to answer such complaints as might be alleged against themselves as to form a jury or homage for the trial of their fellow tenants. And upon this account, in all the feudal institutions, both here and on the continent, they are distinguished by the appellation of the peers of the court, Pares Curtis, or pares Curiae. In like manner, the barons themselves, or lords of inferior districts, were denominated peers of the king's court, and were bound to attend him upon summons, to hear causes of greater consequence in the king's presence and under the direction of his grand judiciary, till, in many countries, the power of that officer was broken and distributed into other courts of judicature, the peers of the king's court still reserving to themselves, in almost every feudal government, the right of appeal from those subordinate courts in the last resort. The military branch of service consisted in attending the lord to the wars, if called upon, with such a retinue, and for such a number of days as were stipulated at the first donation in proportion to the quantity of the land. At the first introduction of feuds, as they were gratuitous, so also they were precarious and held at the will of the Lord, who was the sole judge of whether his vassal performed his services faithfully. Then they became certain for one or more years. Among the ancient Germans they continued only from year to year an annual distribution of lands being made by their leaders in their general councils or assemblies. This was professedly done, lest their thoughts should be diverted from war to agriculture, lest the strong should encroach on the possessions of the weak, and lest luxury and avarice should be encouraged by the erection of permanent houses and too curious an attention to convenience and elegant superfluities of life. But, When the general migration was pretty well over and a peaceable possession of their new acquired settlements had introduced new customs and manners, when the fertility of the soil had encouraged the study of husbandry and an affection for the spots they had cultivated began naturally to arise in the tillers, a more permanent degree of property was introduced and feuds began now to be granted for the life of the feudatory. But still feuds, were not yet hereditary, though frequently granted by the favor of the Lord to the children of the former possessor, till in process of time it became unusual and was therefore thought hard to reject the heir if he were capable to perform the services, and therefore infants, women, and professed monks who were incapable of bearing arms were also incapable of succeeding to a genuine feud. But the heir, when admitted to the feud, which his ancestor possessed, used generally to pay a fine or acknowledgement to the Lord in horses, arms, money, and the like, for such renewal of the feud, which was called a relief, because it re-established the inheritance, or in the words of the feudal writers, incertum et caducum eredatum relevabat. This relief was afterwards when feuds became absolutely hereditary, continued on the death of the tenant, though the original foundation of it had ceased. For in process of time, feuds came by degrees to be universally extended beyond the life of the first vassal to his sons, or perhaps to such one of them as the Lord should name. And in this case, the form of the donation was strictly observed. For if the feud was given to a man and his sons, all his sons succeeded him in equal portions. And as they died off, their shares reverted to the Lord, and did not descend to their children or even to their surviving brothers, as not being specified in the donation. But when such a feud was given to a man and his heirs in general terms, then a more extended rule of succession took place. And when a feudatory died his male descendants, in infinitum, were admitted to the succession. When any such descendant, who thus had succeeded, died, his male descendants were also admitted in the first place, and, in defect of them, such of his male collateral kindred, as were of the blood or lineage of the first feudatory, but no others. For this was an unalterable maxim in the feudal succession that none was capable of inheriting a feud, but such as was of the blood of, that is, linearly descended from, the first feudatory. And the descent, being thus confined to males, originally extended to all the males alike, all the sons, without any distinction of primogeniture, succeeding to equal portions of the father's feud. But this being found upon many accounts inconvenient, particularly by dividing the services and thereby weakening the strength of the feudal union, and honorary feuds, or titles of nobility, being now introduced, which were not of a divisible nature, but could only be inherited by the eldest son. In imitation of these, military feuds, or those we are now describing, began also, in most countries, to descend according to the same rule of primogeniture, the eldest son in exclusion of all the rest other qualities of feuds were that the feudatory could not alien or dispose of his feud neither could he exchange nor yet mortgage nor even devise it by will without the consent of the lord or the reason of conferring the feud being the personal abilities of the feudatory to serve in war it was not fit he should be at liberty to transfer this gift either from himself or his posterity, who were presumed to inherit his valor, to others who might prove less able. And, as the feudal obligation was looked upon as reciprocal, the feudatory being entitled to the Lord's protection in return for his own fealty and service, therefore the Lord could no more transfer his seigniory or protection without the consent of his vassal Then the vassal could his feud without consent of his lord it being equally unreasonable that the lord should extend his protection to a person to whom he had exceptions and that the vassal should owe subjection to a superior not of his own choosing these were the principal and very simple qualities of the genuine or original feuds being then all of a military nature and in the hands of military persons though feudatories, being under frequent incapacities of cultivating and manuring their own lands, soon found it necessary to commit part of them to inferior tenants, obliging them to such returns in service, corn, cattle, or money, as might enable the chief feudatories to attend their military duties without distraction, which returns, or reditus, were the original of rents and by this means the feudal polity was greatly extended. These inferior feudatories, who held what are called in the Scots laws rare fiefs, being under similar obligations of fealty, to do suit of court, to answer the stipulated renders or rent service, and to promote the welfare of their immediate superiors or lords. But this, at the same time, demolished the ancient simplicity of feuds, and an inroad being once made upon their constitution, it subjected them, in a course of time, to great varieties and innovations. Feuds came to be bought and sold, and deviations were made from the old fundamental rules of tenure and succession, which were held no longer sacred when the feuds themselves no longer continued to be purely military. Hence, these tenures now to be divided into de propria et impropria proper and improper feuds, under the former of which divisions were comprehended such and such only of which we have before spoken, and under that of improper or derivative feuds were comprised all such as do not fall within the other description, such for instance, as were originally bartered and sold to the feudatory for a price such as were held upon base or less honorable services, or upon a rent, in lieu of military service, such as were in themselves alienable without mutual license, and such as might descend indifferently to either males or females. But where a difference was not expressed in the creation, such new created feuds did in all other respects follow the nature of an original Genuine and proper feud. But as soon as the feudal system came to be considered in the light of a civil establishment rather than as a military plan, the ingenuity of the same ages, which perplexed all theology with the subtlety of scholastic disquisitions and bewildered philosophy in the mazes of metaphysical jargon, began also to exert its influence on this copious and fruitful subject, in pursuance of which, The most refined and oppressive consequences were drawn from what originally was a plan of simplicity and liberty, equally beneficial to both lord and tenant, and prudently calculated for their mutual protection and defense. From this one foundation, in different countries of Europe, very different superstructures have been raised. What effect it has produced on the landed property of England will appear in the following chapters. End of chapter 4, part 2.